Before we start this week's show, I wanted to introduce some audio that Mark and I recorded down at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference this past weekend. Mark and I were sponsors of the conference under the Sasquatch banner, and as usual, it was an amazing event. A lot of people, uh, some great speakers, and the introduction of Minerva Monster to the public by way of our premiere on Saturday night, which was a packed house of about 450 people. And um, the movie had a, just a huge reception, great reviews coming out of it. And um, we actually have audio recorded from that event. We have the introduction to the movie and the Q&A, some of the Q&A that preceded it. Uh, and then we have a little bit of audio that Mark and I actually recorded with some uh, attendees of the conference and one presenter without further ado and this is Sasquatch live from the ohio bigfoot conference 2015 we are sitting in a round table on the third or fourth floor i'm a little unsure fourth fourth forker is is motioning four of the uh, salt fork state park lodge and we are talking about bigfoot and this particular conference today with Shannon Legros. Hello. And Sean Forker. Hey, everybody. Who have both been on the show at least once or twice. And um, Shannon, is this your first time down to it's, this conference? It is my first time to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference. It is impressively busy already. Yeah. What's your What's your read on on it in general? For right now, it is, um, it's a lot of hollering and screaming, yeah. trying to, you know, Chaos. Come, come buy some things, which is great because there's a lot of cool stuff to buy. Mm-hmm. Minerva, I hear there's this movie. You know, yeah, someone was really hounding me about that earlier, it's, and I actually had to tell him jackass. to maybe just go away, because I wasn't ready to buy anything yet. I wanted to peruse yeah, a little yeah. more. Just posters and shirts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. everybody's Minerva, dressed wait, in plaid, wait. and I'm like, what is going on? Is this that Minerva the Monster Minvera, that I've been hearing about? Minvera the Monster. <laughs> Sounds like a disease. Yeah. Minvera, yes. Minvera. We should get that checked out. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely a huge crowd this year. I almost feel like it's it might be a little smaller than last year. It's smaller than last year. Is it? Okay. Is it because of Cliff? Do you think there's no Cliff oh, yeah. American this year? There's no Cliff. Right. So you don't think it's just too early yet? No. 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 Really? They no, usually peak at about 10 a.m. And then we're, we're, what are we at now? Noon? Yeah. So it, it should be at its highest uh, attendance right now. This is Sean Forker speaking. Yeah, right Sean, now. the four chat Forker. Um, Sean, how many years have you been coming down to this? Uh, this is my fourth. Yeah, four. You came down to other conferences though here, right? Like Creature. I weekend. went to Creature, Creature weekend, weekend, which is a smaller audience, but yeah. it's really more towards the researcher. This is really for the researcher, but more for the enthusiast. This kind of a really well marketed. Uh, a lot of vendors, you know, people really want to shop. This is like a shopping mall for Bigfoot fans. So, what's your take on like conventions and conferences in general for like cryptozoology, ufology? It's like any other conference, you know, trying. It's twofold. You get the awareness going. You get a lot of people that you know have nothing to do on a Saturday that want to come check it out. But then you also have you know the diehard you know fan. we don't have anybody in Bigfoot costumes yet running around here, but uh, for the diehard fan, they get to come buy more Bigfoot swag. You know, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, Shannon. 
Uh, I would agree. I think, I mean, right now we're looking at a, a table full of people that are proudly sporting their Ohio Bigfoot Conference t-shirts. And, you know, the, the colors this year are hunter orange and, and green. So we definitely have a theme going this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also at Creature Weekend two conferences ago. And it is exactly as Sean said. That is much more research-based. There's far less things to buy and people... You know, trying to, to push Minerva monster things on you. Jeez. Yeah. This guy uh, is... It's awful. Yeah, it's tiresome. So, um, Sean, what, what's going on in PA lately? Uh, a lot. Uh, Northern tier of Pennsylvania is really lighting up with Bigfoot sightings. Potter County, Tioga, Tioga, Tioga County, Bradford, McKean County. A lot of areas where we traditionally haven't had a lot of reports in the past, but we're getting people out there. And uh, the reports are starting to come in. So we're going to be having an expedition in June uh, in the northern tier. There's a lot of interest in it so far. So I'm excited to get boots on the ground and see if, not only if we can get some evidence, but get more reports mm. from those areas. Tell it's an exciting us, time. T- t- tell us, like, a, a cool sighting that's been reported so, there. I just touched on it when I talked to Shannon the last time on her program. Uh, there's a gentleman that is an officer for the Fish and Game Commission. He had a sighting in November of, I believe, 2013 now, in his tree stand. It walked out into the field when he was out there hunting. And this is a fishing game, you know, commission officer. He, you know, could lose, you know, if it ever got out, he could potentially lose his job. But he's the most honest witness I've ever interviewed in my life. Very sincere, shaken by it. Didn't really know what he saw, but he knew it wasn't anything that he'd seen before. And described it down to the letter, the size. Didn't get a really good facial description of it, but the mannerisms, the height, the weight... Uh, and then later he went back to this area and something had taken the tree stand and wrapped it around a tree. Wow. You're talking about two-inch pipe and just wrapped it around a tree. Wow. I have a picture of that that we'll be putting up on the website at some point. It's just a remarkable witness. He heard some screams uh, one morning when he was out hiking. So he was out hiking. He had some screams. But uh, the tree stand incident, his sighting, and he took us to that area. You know, we did a stand-in of, you know, somebody, a larger statured person, so they could kind of reenact. And there's no mistake in that's what he saw. There's no way he could confuse that. Especially in the profession that he's in, there's no way he could have mistaken that. Speaking of his profession, do you guys find that as far as reports go from people that are extremely reputable, like, like he is, that they would rather just give you personally the report, but they don't want it published anywhere? He didn't mind it being published as long as his name wasn't used. And he didn't really want to go back out with us that weekend we were up there. He wanted to stay at the truck, and he had no interest in going out at night with us to investigate. But as we talked to him and reassured him that, you know, other people have seen this and kind of brought him to the realization that maybe it's not that unusual, he was more comfortable. He got out in the woods with us, and he's willing to do it again. So I think we just got a member out of somebody who really just wanted to report a sighting, which was really cool. But uh, sometimes they don't. You know, they want to just take the sighting. There was a, a park ranger that Eric Altman had interviewed that really didn't want any of his information out there, didn't want to be videoed or, or photographed. He just wanted to give the information, and that was that. So I guess it all depends on how comfortable that person becomes. Right. Yeah. Mark, questions? Questions. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. Shannon, can you tell us a little bit about Into the Fray Radio? We know that you're approaching launch date on that? I am. I, I am trying to launch around July 1st, and I'm going to be cheating on Bigfoot with other subjects, so that may upset oh. a few people. Yes. Oh my. So, How dare you. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> wow. Um, 
I had a question for you, and I got totally. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what? What? You're in Ohio. We always talk about Ohio reports. Have you heard anything Ohio related? Because I've heard, I've heard tell that it is like blowing up this year. I have heard a few recent reports out of Coshocton. Mm-hmm. So I would love to go to Coshocton and spend some time. I don't know where you know if you can even divulge the areas or counties where you're hearing it from. And then other places are completely quiet. I'm hearing, like, East Coast, like Massachusetts is very quiet right now for some reason, according to a couple of sources, but I've heard the same. Yeah, Stark County, uh, Eastern Stark County is blowing up, particularly Minerva. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which, which works for us. I mean, yes, it does. It's actually part of our marketing campaign. Um, so, all right, we're going to wrap this up. We have another guest we're going to talk to. Thank you guys for joining us. You're welcome. And maybe we'll catch up to you again. And now we are joined by a former SASWA guest, Dr. David Floyd from Charleston Southern University. And it's Mark and I, as usual. And David, hello. Hello. Good to be here. Yeah, you too. How are you enjoying your first Ohio Bigfoot Conference? It's really amazing uh, that all the people have been so genuine and welcoming um, but I have to say that of all the literary conferences I've been to they are far more far weirder than the people here um, <laughs> so this is this frighteningly normal um, demographic here um, and I'm not sure I expected that but <laughs> a lot but of yeah, families I always yeah, say yeah. like it's 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 almost like a family event more so than you know like a hardcore big footer event yeah, and that's that's neat. Just not only for the next generation to kind of appreciate this and all, but just a, a chance to kind of go up and like I've gone up to a couple of kids and like shaking their hands, you know, and, and just you know to to meet them and that kind of thing, you know. And they just they seem to enjoy some kind of recognition, you know, from from somebody. Now, when you say far weirder, do you mean that there's like literary cosplay going on, or what? The, that's intriguing. Yeah. The, the weirdest group you'll ever get is a bunch of English professors. You know, it's, I, I'm very normal in that in that world. You know, to you, but the, to me, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the strangest convention I ever went to or conference was um, the International Gothic Association, Whoa. which was the the literary aspect of it was really interesting and all that. But you also have these people dressed in you know period costumes and and all that. And um, you know, I, I was there with a tile and stuff you know it's like the nerves like let me go paint my fingernails black or something <laughs> get some eyeliner or something but it was that was an interesting um, crowd but. have you been to any bigfoot no this is my first okay. thing yeah okay um, um what did you think of because you were there for lauren's presentation last night right i wasn't there i had to bail what what did you think of that good solid oh yeah it was it was great to um to see him because i you know, I've, of course, seen his books and that type yeah. of thing, and seen him on, t- on TV. And I was, I was literally ten feet away from him. You know, so, so there was a little bit of, um, what do you call it, like star, star right. power right. there. Right. You know, so that was, that was cool. But, and he, I didn't know the stuff he was talking. Tom about. Page, right? Right. Tell yeah. me, I, either of you can tell me. I didn't, I missed it. So, like, who is Tom Page? I've never even heard this guy's name. Evidently, this um, wealthy individual who had funded exploration into Bigfoot and all this, and evident like he was a pilot too, mm-hmm. and so if there was ever a, a sighting or whatever, he could just literally fly there oh, and wow. check it out. You know, and he was there 
he was actually sitting in front of me. Yeah. Um, so they awarded him a plaque and all that for his contribution to Bigfoot studies and all. And that was that was kind of cool. Yeah. Because I didn't know who was sitting in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> so right. We saw him come new. in, and I had no clue who he was. I thought he was just a freeloader sneaking right. in. Right. This isn't the baby shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Ohio connection with him is that he's from Mentor, Ohio, okay. Tom Pages. Okay. And he um, evidently had some type of uh, machinery business like bef- yeah. or before Home Depot was a thing. Right. That's he how he funded all these things. Cool. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. And I talked to Lauren this morning, and he said that he didn't know if Tom Page was going to be here until Monday of this week. He kept asking him, and he just didn't know yeah. health-wise if he'd be able to be here, but it all worked out. When you're and that wealthy, was sort of a wow moment, you know, where he... Right. And here's Tom Page. I mean, he I know, stood up. Yeah. Kind of, oh, okay, so he did, like, the presentation about the guy without anyone knowing he was in the crowd. Right. Okay. The, it was it was worded to where you have someone in your midst who has done this, and this person, blah, 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 and it was like this, you know... Not a, not a, even a specific pronoun, you know. Okay. And um, and then all of a sudden it's like, bam, he was there. So. Yeah. So that and was he neat. he gave all of his Bigfoot documents that he had saved over a lifetime to the International Cryptozoology Museum. Yeah, that was cool. And so, Mr. Coleman also used that as an opportunity to say, don't let people throw stuff away. You yeah. know, send it to museums <laughs> yeah, right. so we can hang on to it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Have you uh, in Charleston? You, yeah, I mean Bigfoot wise. Well, this is interesting. I got an email from a guy that's um, he's in New Orleans, I believe, and um, he had heard me on the previous podcast. You know, and evidently, he and his family had come to Sullivan's Island, which is about twenty minutes from where I am. And um, he and his son had decided to go to Francis Francis Marion National Forest, which is right down the road from where I live. And evidently, they he sent me a picture of, of his sneaker next to what looked like a a track, you know. And um, so that was kind of kind of neat. That's cool. And, um, I did have a, I got an email from another college prof- or English professor the other day uh, who had heard me on it also, and he was recommending all these books and all, and and so that was kind of cool. So I've, I've had two different people who I otherwise would never meet ever um, to contact me, and just with some interesting stuff, you know. So I gotta know, and I think we—I might have asked you this even on the show, but I'm, I'm asking it again. What is the like the university's reaction to you being so involved in this subject? It was surprisingly positive. I, I sort of expected people to kind of snicker or whatever. Um, you know, in my department, the people that have um, in my department, the um, people who found out about it, their reaction was universally, "Oh, that's cool. What are you talking about?" You know. Yeah. And I, my suspicion is that people are intrinsically interested in something like this. But because there's sort of this stigma attached to it in some ways of you're a kook or something, that they don't want to necessarily broadcast it, you know. But but as soon as they found out that I was going to be talking, they're like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, so that was that was kind of cool. Awesome. Um, and I did, I applied for some funding for travel and that kind of thing. And um, I did get a, an email from, evidently there's a, a panel of people that a lots of money, you know, and all from different disciplines and all, and so the, the hard science guys were like, okay, what exactly are you going to do? And I was like, okay, I'm not the science guy, I'm, I'm not trying to prove anything, you know, I'm looking at it from a, like a cultural history kind right. of thing, and they were like, okay, here you go. So um, that's that's really the only, you know, but um, outside of um, a, a couple of people um, that just kind of like Bigfoot, what, you know, but the... the Overall, the reaction has been has been really positive. Do you think that the reaction in general 
and you guys can both answer this, of academia and science in general and just cultural study, is, is it becoming more accepted to look into Bigfoot? I think so. Um, and the, the last slide of my talk kind of talks about that because you have stuff like, you know, there's always been this kind of subculture that's interested in it, you know. Um, but then you have the popularity of something like Finding Bigfoot that brings people that wouldn't buy a Lauren Coleman book necessarily, but they're watching on television. And it's it's very much a part of our sort of popular culture anyway. But I think there's there's this upsurge, I think, of more of an academic approach to it where it's not just um, something some fringe group is interested in that, that people are kind of taking it more seriously, maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, David, thank you for joining us, and good luck with your presentation today. Good luck with your forward to Yeah, yeah, Minerva Monster is a documentary. I've heard it. (laughs) Good to see you guys. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for coming up. What you're about to listen to is the introduction to the premiere of Minerva Monster and the Q&A that followed it. Uh, If you're interested in checking out Minerva Monster before the DVD comes officially, because it's going to take a couple days to ship, uh, you can check it out at vimeo.com slash on demand slash Minerva Monster. And you can rent or purchase digitally. So, thanks. All right. uh, This is hacked out, which I wasn't expecting. So, this is great. Um, we want to talk real quick about this movie, which has taken us almost a year to film, edit, all that stuff. Um, we ran a very successful Kickstarter campaign that was partially helped along by the Ohio Bigfoot Conference and Mark DeWorth, so we have to thank Mark DeWorth. Wow. And we have to thank anyone in attendance who backed us especially the people, there were people that backed as high as like $200 that are in attendance here, which is amazing. So you helped make this movie. So thank you. And we know, uh, yeah, and we know um, a lot of people are not fed up, but a little, a little turned off by some of the popular entertainment on TV today that involves the Bigfoot. We set out to make something that's completely different, that takes the subject very seriously. It is a documentary about a particular incident, especially in Ohio history, that's really important to Ohio history. And we wanted to tell it in the truest, most grounded way possible. So this is unlike anything that I've seen on TV. Even the reviews that are coming in are saying it's unlike anything that's been on TV so far. So just watch this. Let us know what you think. It is a grounded, real-world look at a phenomenon that is worldwide, but especially here in Ohio. And it's a very important incident in this American case. So we wanted to kind of educate you guys on this town of Minerva, which is a fascinating town. We wanted to educate you on this, especially this Bigfoot sighting, possible Bigfoot sighting, I should say. Um, also, we're selling the movie. It is available. You can help support further by picking up a copy afterward. We have t-shirts, posters, all that stuff as well. Um, just, I guess, Minerva Monster Day. Yeah. How many people in attendance are from Minerva or like right around Minerva? Yeah. 
Okay. On June 6th, in the town of Minerva, at the historic Roxy Theater and outside of the Roxy Theater, we are holding an event called Minerva Monster Day, which is being held by us and the Chamber of Commerce of Minerva, who got very excited about the event and the movie. So there's going to be speakers, uh, there's going to be vendors, we're showing three showings of the movie for free, so come down uh, June 6th starting, first showing is at 12.30, I think the event will start around noon. And Minerva, I heard that question, Minerva is in uh, the eastern part of Stark County, also in Carroll and Columbia, I think it's kind of right in between these three counties, so it's very interesting. Um, but. Let's let's get to the movie. Just keep that June sixth date in mind, Minerva Monster Day. All right, we're ready. Is everyone ready? Yeah. <laughs> now for the world premiere of Minerva Monster. Yeah, that was Becky. Um, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> the Mirror Monster has arrived. Um, the <laughs> I called Becky to, to. She was actually the first person I spoke to from the Caden family about being in the movie, and um, her story, what she told me, her recounting of the story is amazing. And I talk a little bit about yeah, about this on the behind the scenes feature, but unfortunately, her health is not what it you know, what it should be. So she wasn't able to be in the film, but definitely those stories she did tell me. Uh, there was another kid that actually lived uh, on a property that butted up against the back of Stripline Hill that the Catons live off of. And he, uh, if you go on the BFRO website, you'll find that same report, really similar. He would see this thing come up to his window. So I don't know. We have a voyeur Bigfoot, I guess. Yeah. It's in East Canton, which is uh, nine miles, maybe less, nine, ten miles from Minerva. But something we found out that was really interesting while we were there is that, uh, I don't know if you can see it in the film, but there's that creek that runs, there's the, where his sighting took place, there's a creek right on the other side of the tree. I know there is a shot there looking at Paul from behind a tree. Right behind that, where that tree is, is this really deep creek. And that creek actually runs to the, is it the Little Beaver or the, the Beaver Creeks, Sandy Canal, I'm not even sure. One of those, that creek actually runs into that, and that creek runs right behind the Cadence House. I'm from East Okay. I thought, I heard the story, but I did not see any reports that were on the BFRO. Paul's sighting is, it is on the BFRO. The, the really neat thing about Paul sighting was it was in 2011, and his description of the creature was exactly how they were describing it in 1978. Same size, same hair. But I thought that was really, really interesting. And that actually came up uh, during filming. I showed him that sketch from 78, which I don't think he'd ever seen before, uh, on my phone, because he was giving us a physical description of it. I was like, it sounds like this. And I handed him the phone, and he's, he's like, yeah, this. That's it. So he had already given us that physical description of a creature that was seen back in 78. Yeah, I imagine there are probably caves in that. Are there caves in that area? 
The only thing I know of caves in that area, you're probably right, there's got to be something because this is a really heavily strip mined area, but um, that quarry pond that was talked about in the film a couple times, um, there was some sort of connection between that pond and this creature. Um, it was theorized by the Caden family that this thing was living in caves that were under the water. Like some, They actually sent a diver down and he claimed he found underwater caves. And they did that because they found mounds of hair floating on the surface of the water. So they were thinking that maybe this thing was like swimming into the caves and like sort of a creature from the Black Lagoon thing and it was living under there. Um, unfortunately, like while the Cadens were telling us it was like a police dive team, we, we found only really evidence of a of, of like maybe one guy in a scuba suit that went down. Just that kind of thing. So um, it is cool though. I hope that's true. I hope there's like, there's, there's so many things that were told to us on this that we weren't able to back up, so we didn't put it in the film. But I'm, I'm hopeful that all those things are true because there's so many cool aspects to the story. There's like ghosts on the hill behind the house and like all this stuff. So we can, yeah, UFOs, there's a UFO sighting by the sheriff, or not, he didn't actually see it, but he investigated. The sheriff told us there were only two unusual incident reports he ever investigated. One was the Caden's house, the Minerva Monster event. The second was two weeks later, it was a UFO landing across the street from the Caden's house. And a cornfield. So. One of the things that we did on purpose and we were putting it together is uh, we left some of the, uh, I guess you'd call it conflicting stories or inconsistencies in there between the different people. Because the whole point of this is to really try and allow you guys to draw your own interpretation from the story. So, and yeah, what was it? 36 years ago. So. Um, you know, there's, there are some consistencies. A great example is what, uh, you know, this creature looked like, but then there's other bits and pieces of the story that don't exactly match up. Uh, you know, one of the things that wasn't in there is uh, there was rumors that, you know, the army showed up and was driving around uh, with, you know, jeeps and there were horses and you know, cavalry was everywhere. But, uh, but you know, you know, certain things we, we didn't put in there, but generally speaking, we wanted to allow you guys to kind of make your own interpretation. Question? Yeah. Um, when you, uh, the guy in the interview was talking about when the five guys, like, tried to tackle him or something, and he said he had bite marks on the back, did he actually have the pictures on there? Did you guys see them? Yeah, unfortunately, we could find no evidence of this story. So it's such a great story. I didn't want to leave that out of the movie, but there's no police report. I can tell you that much. Um, we went through the Stark County Sheriff's Department and the only sightings they found were these three. Now that police report that we show in the movie, there's actually that's actually three separate reports. It's not just one report, it's three separate reports. And it's a series of inc incidents that took place over like one week. And so the police were actually being called out repeatedly. But that particular sighting that he talks about, um, no evidence of that taking place. He did talk about it again just two weeks ago when we were talking to him. And he was telling us it was actually his brother that was bit. And he even mentioned the, the two other guys, you know, never forgetting about the story and like all the stuff. So he is, he's sticking to that. Hold on one second. Yeah. Saswa is a podcast about Bigfoot. 
It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit sasswhat.com. This is Sasswat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio. And we're into our third episode of Small Town Monsters Month. Our second episode centered around the Minerva Monster. We're not cheating. I promise there will be plenty of Small Town Monster goodness in next week's episode and the episode after that. We will focus as much as we can on sightings like the Flintville monster and uh, maybe even a little bit more about Momo or Big Muddy and stuff like that. Those those classic yep. kind of small town sightings. We're going to Iowa too. Oh geez. Yes. I don't think that's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, is dangerous, but I I really think we should. Is that the cornfield monster? The corn cob. <laughs> Cold <Old> corn cob. <laughs> Uh, all right so tonight we're talking about the minerva monster again this is going to be an episode that focuses more on the production of the film and uh, we thought this would be a cool glimpse behind the scenes of the making of this movie and i promise the show sasswat is not just one big advertising experiment for Minerva Monster, but it is something that has eaten up the last eight months of my life, and as the host of this particular show, I would be remiss in not talking about it um, ad nauseum for at least this one episode. So tonight, um, I'm actually going to let Mark run this episode and kind of steer us in whatever way he wants to go. Mark's actually seen the movie. If you listen to the last episode, you've already heard his review. So um, he has questions that some of you might not be able to ask yet because you might not have seen the movie. But I think this particular episode that you are listening to right now is going to actually go live the day after the movie comes out. So if you're listening to this right now, it should be May 17th. The movie came out yesterday. You should go on grassmangear.com to purchase that on DVD or Blu-ray. It comes with a a couple special features, actually. It comes with a, a cut scene that kind of gives you a quick rundown of the lost French gold in the town of Minerva, which is kind of a local urban legend that's kind of cool. And uh, it also comes with a behind-the-scenes feature that I edited that um, I think is kind of cool. And kind of gives you a look into the serious way with which we conduct our movie making, which is to say not very serious at all. <laughs> um, so you'll you'll want to check that out. Um, it is available for rental via Vimeo.com as well, and uh, GrassmanGear.com is your main place to purchase it on DVD and Blu-ray. So I'm handing it over to Mark, and we're going to pretend like he is interviewing me or whatever we're doing here, and we're just going to yammer on for the next uh, half hour about Minerva Monster and the production. Yes, and you will like it. (laughs) You'll love it. You'll love it. Well, and one thing I wanted to say, too, for some of our listeners is, you know, I'm asking questions out of pure ignorance, actually, because... I was really not able to be involved in the production of the film 
uh, my schedule being what it is and so forth. So there is truly a lot of things that I don't know uh, about the production of it. So it's it's kind of an interesting situation, really, uh, that it's Sasswat and Small Town Monsters, and there's all these really cool entities that are sort of sit next to each other, like uh, like the Justice League or something. But Like trains in the night. Yes. So... <laughs> Well, let's get started by saying, you know, first of all, how easy or not was it to really get in contact with the principal players, you know, the Caton family or the um, uh, Barb at Akron Beacon Journal, things like that? How much work did you have to do on that end to secure their participation? Yeah, Barbara and Shannon uh deputy shannon we call him shannon because you know we're chums we're real tight Mm -hmm. um they were probably the easiest barbara i had already been in contact with for over a year um even when we started production i had been in contact with her for about a year and she was on board pretty much instantly um in fact i had already interviewed her uh via phone when we did, when she came to meet me for the movie, um, I interviewed her back when I was putting together the pitch for the book, when when this was going to be a book. Um, so I was kind of aware of her story and what she had to say. She was very easy to get on board, and Shannon was was very easy to get on board. Shannon, the difficult thing I had with Shannon was actually tracking him down, and he was a little befuddled by how I had managed to, and I'm still not sure how I managed to because he's not listed, but his phone number I discovered through a New York fire department website. (laughs) I have no idea how or why. Um, So that was how I tracked him down. Uh, The Catons, um, I had attempted to call the Catons and talk to them months back when I was uh, actually working on the book and I hadn't been able to talk to anyone. Um, But then I think it was after we had actually filmed out in, no, that wouldn't make any sense. It was the week before we were going to go film. Uh, I called, I somehow found Rebecca's phone number and called her and she told me her, the story from her point of view, but refused to come into the film. But she did put me in contact with Howie. And the first time I talked to Howie, all he would do was allow me to come out to their house and shoot footage around the property. Um, so I got permission from him to come shoot on the property, but he would not agree to come on and actually do an interview. So I we went out there that first weekend. We shot around their house. We went, you know, home, and then we went back out there a, a couple weekends, I think. And eventually, in calling him, I was calling him on a weekly basis, probably mm-hmm. once or twice a week, and talking to him and just kind of talking to him, you know, and making sure he knew this is not. Uh, we're not in this to try to make you look like a fool or anything. And eventually he, he just agreed to do it. And I think a lot of that had to do with his wife kind of pushing him Hmm. and um, encouraging him to do it. And then he came on. So he was probably the hardest interview to secure. Um, And him, I think the hardest part of the whole thing was actually coming up with the police report, which I've talked about before on other interviews, but it was just a real pain in the butt. The things like filed away and they have to try to track it down without the use of computers. And I think it's, it's just a painstaking process from what I could gather, but we knew wow. we, we had to have the police report. 
Yeah. In fact, James Shannon was the one that told us you have to have the police report. So, mm-hmm. and I'm glad he did because we we used it in the film a couple times. You actually get to see it, and um, I'm hoping to to bring some of those scans out to Minerva for Minerva Monster Day to kind of show off to people too. So, yeah, I have to say that's an impressive moment in the film when you get to see the actual report. Oh yeah, there's something about that that is exciting if you are aware of the case. Well, and, I, um, a shout out to my mom and dad for that, because I, I went back and forth with the Stark County Sheriff's Department for weeks, uh, you know, not for weeks, but it took them three days to track it down. But I was calling back and forth with them for a couple of weeks. And then it took them about three days once I had the dates and everything for them to find it. And then it took it was they found it in the middle of a work day and they were not open on that file. The records department was not open on Saturday. So there was no way for me to get down there without leaving work. My parents graciously drove up to the Stark County Jail, picked up the file and then drove it up to uh, Fairlawn to me. So they drove about an hour and a half just yeah. to get me the police report. So I have to yeah, shout out to my mom and dad. Awesome. That better be in the credits somewhere. Um, yeah, it should have been. I, fa- I failed. <laughs> Special thanks. Speaking, speaking of uh, Minerva Monster Day, mm-hmm. that is June 6th, correct? June 6th, yeah. June 6th in Minerva, and it's going to be a um, free showing of the film at three different showtimes, 12 I think if I do this right, 12.30, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock, I believe. And we left ourselves some leeway there so we can add in another showing if we need to. Mark DeWorth will be doing a presentation on Bigfoot in Ohio in between the 12.30 and 3 o'clock showing. And then between the 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock showing, uh, I believe it's going to be me and Alan and Jesse, Brandon and Nathan talking about the making of the film. And hopefully we'll have a couple of our interview subjects with us to talk as well. And, uh, uh, there's going to be vendors there and Grassman gear will be set up. You can buy the movie and there'll be food and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually in downtown Minerva and the movie will be playing at the Roxy theater. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyone quite a day. It's going to be awesome, I think. Anyone yeah. who wants to come up for, or over or wherever from out of state or from far away in state, get with me through Facebook or email or something, and um, I'll try to help you find lodging because I can tell you it is difficult to find lodging in Minerva. There's no hotels there. There's one uh, old, old-fashioned old motel outside of town. They have nine rooms. Um, <laughs> so anyone who's coming up, let me know. Yeah. Seth, talk to me a little bit about how you and Alan and Jesse, what was the moment where you kind of looked at each other and said, let's, let's do this. Let's make a movie. I mean, how did that all? We were recording that episode of Sasswat where I went out and CVNP with them. And, um, I've said this on like a hundred interviews, but I haven't really explained what I meant by like equipment. When they open the trunk of their car, Alan's very um, meticulous. I guess this is one way of putting it. Anal would be another way. It's all, <laughs> it's all in these, you know, hard cases. He's got everything packed with foam and like really intricate, uh, it, but he's got these hard cases. And when he opened the, the back door of his SUV, 
um, the thing had, it was stacked up to like the top of the seat with equipment, hard cases full of equipment, you know, um, those hyperbolic, uh, not hyper, what are they called? Are they a hyperbolic mic? What is it? Bullock, those mics. Hyperbolic, yeah. 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 Those parabolic. microphones. Parabolic. parabolic. That's it. Not hyperbolic. <laughs> um, I'm hyperbolic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Parabolic Mike, he had like two of those. He's got his his camera equipment, he's got sound equipment, he's got lighting equipment. It's all in there. Infrared stuff, night vision goggles. And I was like, um, you know, have you guys ever thought about making a movie? And Alan was like, well, actually, that, that was why I, I bought all this equipment. And I said, well, you know, we should... Have you ever thought about making a documentary? And he said, um, not really. And I said, well... I had this idea and I told him about the idea for the, you know, small town monsters or whatever. And I was like, I, I think we should start with Minerva and do the story about Minerva. And they said, uh, he said, yeah, I'd be all for it. And you know, do you, I mean, I'm sure you know what I mean. Like sometimes you have conversations with people and you're both on the same page as far as like interests and all that stuff. And you'll say something to each, especially if you're like a creative type, you'd be like, we should do something together. And the other guy's like, yeah. And then you say an idea and you're like, sure. And then you never talk to him again. Mm-hmm. Like it happens constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, like what happened here is I had already done the research and stuff. So instead of just saying, Hey, let's do this. Um, within a couple of weeks, I was like, Hey, let's do this. And they were just on board. It was, it's, it's a special thing to meet people who are just like, yeah, let's go, let's go do it. Yeah. <laughs> instead of, you know, Oh, well let's wait a few weeks and then you wait a few more and then you never actually go out and work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys were actually like gung ho. Let's go film the movie. And I think the first time it hit me, we were making a movie was, um, it wasn't when we got to the Caton's house, which was our first stop on our first day of filming. It was the, the moment we got into the historical society and actually set up our cameras to do interviews inside the historical society. And I was like, Oh, we're making a movie now. So <laughs> <laughs> like everything was planned out, you know, like I knew who yeah. our interview subjects were and all that stuff. And I knew, well, we need B-roll here or whatever, but, but it wasn't a movie until we were, I was sitting down speaking to our first interview subject. And then I was like, we're making a movie now. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes reality at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly, um, it's been such a, this is the one thing we all keep saying, like during, during production, like filming you're we would constantly do something and then realize later, well, we could have done this and we could have done this. Mm. But I just feel like at the end of the day, we made a movie with no prior experience. And I think we did a, a really solid job for our first time out. And we learned so much that there's no way, you know, whatever we do next isn't going to be even better better by like a thousand times i mean just video production and all this stuff editing we learned just a ridiculous amount and i learned the one thing i keep talking about is like when you interview for a newspaper article or whatever i'm writing if you're if you're interviewing for an article it's completely different from interviewing for a documentary because mm-hmm. interviewing for an article you're just it's solely about information gathering and interviewing for a movie is interviewing for the storytelling. You were that person. You need that person to be invested in what they're saying. You need them to be not not flat, not just sitting there recounting things. You want them to be, you know, detailed and 
involved emotionally and it's yeah. just very two completely different types of of uh interview to, yeah i guess and it almost would be like an art form to get somebody to that point mm-hmm. where they're ready to tell their story in that way yeah. draw it, it out of them almost it gave me like a whole new appreciation for documentaries i've i've always loved documentaries and i watch quite a few and now i'm obsessed i watch them constantly and i'm I'm amazed by some of the documentaries that I see because it's this, you know, a whole other art form. Uh, On the opening credits, uh, Nathan is listed as executive producer. Mm. I've never met Nathan. I've never even talked to Nathan. (laughs) What was his role in the production? Uh, Nathan was, I jokingly call him our best boy. Um, He came... With me, I've known Nathan since he was a kid, and he pretty much is up for anything I'm doing. So if I'm like, "Hey, you want to go play basketball?" He goes play basketball. You want to come play eight hours of Call of Duty? Play eight hours of Call of Duty. Uh-huh. I say, "You want to go film a movie?" He says, "Sure." So we go out to Minerva, and pretty much he was. We sent him to do anything. So if we had someone we needed to go get water, we sent him to the car for water. We needed someone to go grab cases out of the car, he'd do it. Um, One of his big things was going and having uh, people sign the release forms, which sounds super small scale, but it's actually really important to the finished movie so you don't get in legal trouble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And in Minerva, that was really difficult. Uh, That first day, that first weekend especially, Nathan was extremely... Uh, vitally important, actually, because him and Jesse took the handy cam out and went and shot man on the street interviews. And those man on the street interviews they shot are not in the movie. I kind of wish they were, but we spoke to all these people up and down Main Street about Minerva Monster, and they almost unanimously said they didn't know what we were talking about. So what mm. we're hoping to do is actually edit something together with those interviews and play them uh, at Minerva Monster Day Um you know, maybe a, during the movie screening or something, we'll get to toss those up on the screen. Um, but Nathan did anything and everything, and he also helped contact the library, uh, the libraries that we're actually speaking at over the course of the summer uh, initially to set up, you know, presentations. So he's kind of been helping with anything I needed help with. And you have to have people like that on this kind of production because. Um, I don't think any of us were aware of how monumental this was going to end up becoming because, mm-hmm. I mean, I can really pull back the curtain here now because the movie's done and it's going to come out and hopefully people will see it regardless. But when we set out to film this, I have myself on camera saying to Alan, um, I think we'll make a nice little 20 minute movie. <laughs> so like that was our initial goal was to make a 20 minute documentary and post it on YouTube. And it and instead it became like as soon as the turning point was when Howie Caton come, came on board. But once that happened, it completely changed what our initial goals were for Minerva Monster. Then it became, well, let's make a feature length documentary and try to turn it into a series of these things. And let's just go for it. And then it became once once the filming's done, then it becomes, oh, we have uh, 30 hours of footage or whatever. <laughs> And we've got to figure out a way of putting this all together in a way that makes sense. And then that was the point where it became, well, 
let's start having meetings and figuring out how we're going to do this all. So then I'm saying we're sitting down together and, and, you know, we're talking about everything and it's like, well, do we, who are we going to get to narrate it? And, you know, are we going to do these recreations like everything else? And honestly, uh, in all honesty, this is honesty just for you, the Sasquatch audience. The, the fact that we didn't do recreations was, originally decided upon not because i didn't like the dramatic recreations which i don't but we just didn't have the money i mean it was (laughs) it was like i don't have the money for a bigfoot costume um and i'm not sticking someone in it a bad costume or whatever and have them run through the woods yeah and then you know once we had made that decision i looked at other documentaries and i was like well good good i'm really glad we're not doing this because this stuff is what bothers me about a lot of filmed Bigfoot themed entertainment. Um, and the narrator thing was originally decided upon because we didn't, you know, necessarily know anyone who was a good voice actor. I, I know some people I've, I have thoughts. Um, I've, I would love to make a documentary and have Brian Brown narrate it. Cause I think Brian's got this really awesome voice and, but with this particular project, I ended up thinking, let's just have the people tell the story. It would have been easier, though, in retrospect. It would have been a lot easier on us if we had a narrator. Like, now that I've made a movie without a narrator, I see why people make them with narrators. Because you have someone to tie together scenes without having to find ways to interweave dialogue that so it naturally flows in and out of... Listen, you can't... You cannot say enough about Alan's editing on this movie because the way he had to weave in bits of dialogue with other bits of dialogue so that things would make sense from a storytelling standpoint. So we don't just go from, all right, so here's Howie Caton talking about his sighting in 78. Suddenly we're talking about Scott Finnegan's or Paul Hayes sighting in 2011. Like there's that all comes across. To me, a lot of that comes across very seamlessly. It's just one story flowing into the next, and it all comes together. And if Alan did his job right, you don't even notice that that these are completely different stories because they're flowing. It's like this flow. And there's no, no, no narrator to do that. And if we had a narrator, it would have been simple, simple as could be. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, that is one of my favorite elements of this movie is... The fact that it's all the people involved, you know, giving you their take on things. And, you know, what can happen sometimes with the narrator is they are pushing you in a direction. You know, they, they're they telling you, in a sense, how to interpret what you are about to see or what you just heard. And the fact that there is no narrator on this, I think, is just, you know, uh, it's a huge selling point for me. Mm-hmm. because it just lets it be the story. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, if I mean if we do our job and if we and I think we did, then that's what people will take away from it. It's a very unique style of storytelling in um cryptozoological entertainment. Now it it isn't in documentaries. I mean my most of my favorite documentaries have no narrator. It's just the story. Uh, but for some reason in this kind of Bigfoot entertainment documentary stuff, it's it's um, a guy with a very deep, you know, scary voice telling you the story. Mm-hmm. 
and we don't do that. So, yeah. And again, you can't stress the. I wish I had footage of Alan trying to piece together parts of the movie because it's hmm. it's pretty insane. Yeah. Another favorite element of the film for me is the soundtrack uh, by Brandon, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you telling me that's his first go around with that is just astounding to me. Um, talk to me about how he got involved with the project. He got involved with the project that first weekend out in Minerva when we were filming. Um, I had contacted him maybe, let me think. I had contacted him when I was putting something together. You know what it was, Mark? It was when you and I were working on our Ohio Bigfoot book that we need to finish someday. (laughs) Um, I actually reached out to him to ask him if I could use a report that he had posted on like Oregon Bigfoot or something. I found his name and email address through there and I emailed him and asked him if I could use his dad's sighting that he had transcribed or whatever on this site. And then he emailed me back and we got to talking through email and then he started listening to Sasswat and then he found out we were making a movie out in Minerva and he said, well, I live, you know, my dad lives in Minerva and I grew up there. Uh, Maybe I could come down and meet you guys. And I was like, sure. So he came down that first weekend and we met him on the street in between shooting uh, interviews. Now we only met for like maybe 10 minutes. I met him, shook his hand. We talked for a minute. We were trying to get from main street over to the Oktoberfest to finish up shooting some of the B roll around the Oktoberfest. Um, so I talked to him there and then I didn't hear from him again for maybe like a week. And then we got to talking again and we kind of talked on and off. And then he, uh, he told me I'm a musician. Um, I'd love to do an original score for your movie. And my first thought is, okay, this is, probably not the best idea because I've mm-hmm. never heard his music. You never know what you're going to get. And he sent me some samples and I listened to him and was automatically like, well, this guy can do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause our original, our, our original idea was to do royalty free, uh, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Like the stuff Alan had picked out was really good, but it was not original. It was, you know, being pieced together by someone else. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to have, this guy in here, you know, actually scoring to the movie. And um, Brandon works incredibly hard. He, there wasn't a day that went by for, from the time he came on board the project, which would have been probably like, I mean, I think he came on as our composer. I want to say early December, but I might be wrong. I mean, it could have been, it could have been November for all I know, or even October, but it's been a long time. And there wasn't a day that would go by where he wasn't texting me about something he's working on with the score or Mm -hmm. something that he's trying to better or figure out or, you know, like he wanted to go, he composed a, my favorite part in the entire movie is this one particular scene um, of the Caton's house. And the scene starts out very quietly with the sound of children laughing in the woods. And it's got this really great illustration done by Matt Harris, who did the illustrations for the movie. Who's a friend of yours that you hooked me up with. Mm -hmm. Um, it's and then there's this illustration of the monster and these kids and it's really cool and then it, the camera kind of pans across the the backyard of the Catons with the strip pit and the hill and all that stuff and all the while he interweaved that those sounds of the children's laughter was actually from him i mean he did all that brandon put the kids laughter in there that there's kind of this um music box song that plays through there mm-hmm. um that's all brandon he actually wanted to go out and build 
a music box because he felt like that particular song didn't have enough of a like a authentic quality to it. So he's actually going to go build it. And I said, it sounds great. Don't yeah. don't waste hours or days doing that on top of it. Um, but that's the kind of work ethic he has. Like he right. just wants to keep working at it until it's perfect. And you know, like we would. I love the opening song too. The song that actually opens the entire movie, which is. Um, the movie kind of opens with a prologue um, because I really wanted to establish right away. This is a movie about a monster. So we have a couple quick snippets there at the beginning of people recalling, you know, the monster. And there's this really creepy song he brings in with this kind of uh, electric guitar twang to it underneath. Mm -hmm. And I love that song. And I actually told him, I think that should be our small town monsters theme song. Like I just, I think that song is so good. Um, but that actually came into play. That song came into play really late in the movie that within the last few weeks of the production, actually. Um, and then I told him, you know, let's start interweaving that kind of thing. And, and one thing I love about his score is it changes over the course of the movie. Um, it's very melodious. It's got these very specific themes kind of early mm -hmm. on. And then it becomes very creepy, kind of an underlying thing. It's there. Um, but you don't quite you don't quite hear it, but it's there. I don't know how to explain it. Like it's very low towards the back half of the soundtrack. He mm -hmm. he went into these kind of moody soundscapes, um, and then it becomes this very epic song at the very end. And then we end with the acoustic song that we call Minerva, uh, fittingly. And um, that, I just I think he did such an amazing job scoring that whole thing. Um, every person has contributed it's like they always say like this t kind of project one person can't do this kind of thing and i i don't think i ever realized that until we got into production on this thing because like jesse so i gotta as long as i'm talking about everyone else i gotta mention jesse too like jesse's main job became assisting with like putting together design stuff and this is after the filming i mean during filming mm -hmm. jesse's the one setting up lighting and sound and all that stuff and during the post-production he became the guy who was like all right well now i gotta work with <laughs> with the t-shirt design people and i've <laughs> got to work on designing a flyer and a banner and help with the poster and i mean it's like one thing after the next and that kind of became one of the main things he's doing but jesse also contributed that this very critical eye to everything like not critical in a bad way but you know what mm -hmm. i mean like a very analytical yeah. right kind of uh take on the movie and we really needed that when we were in post-production. Um, boy, I'm rambling like crazy. <laughs> no, it's all... I think what you're saying is that the whole team concept really comes to bear in a project like that. And, you know, uh, people who watch a lot of movies and a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff get a sense of that, but probably not until you're involved to the degree that you were do you really see how much you know one part of this falling apart means the whole thing falls apart and uh conversely when everybody brings their a game you know you end up with something like the minerva monster it's it's uh you know i can't wait for people to see it yeah i i can't either i mean i'm kind of excited just to hear the initial feedback from people and Stuff like that. So, um, further question: Do you have anything else? We should probably start wrapping this up. Yeah, I, I guess sort of big picture. Um, 
you know, you talked about things that you learned along the way, and next time you'll have a better sense of how to do things. What would you say is a major lesson that you learned? Um, shoot more footage. And I said, I said we got all that footage on this one, but when you go into post, I don't think you realize how much footage you need until you're sitting there in the editing room and there's all this stuff and and you've got to piece things together and keep more footage in there. And just to put people in that place, wherever your story takes place, um, that was something I learned. I also learned a lot about, like I said, about interviewing, the differences between interviewing. And my interviewing process completely changed from the first day to the last interview we did, which was Scott Finnegan. And when I go into the next movie, I'm going to interview like I interviewed Scott Finnegan instead of how I interviewed um, some of the people on the first day. Um, I, I want to get that emotion. I want people to be able to, and it isn't because I'm trying to, to um, control the situation or steer it in one way or the other, but I want the people that I'm interviewing to, to be able to put the people, the viewer, I want them to be able to put the viewer uh, in the driver's seat, put them, you know, help the viewer to be able to see it from the interview subjects point of view, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I want to shoot more of those night shots, man. I loved being out in the woods after, after dark like that. And it's, I guess in a way it could be conceived as being a little, um, as a big, cause, cause you go from these very still or not still, but like these, these very bright day shots that we kind of interweave. And then all of a sudden you get these like night vision shots. And while it is odd, cause now you're looking through a night vision camera and everything's green at the same time, it's, there's something about that. That's unsettling. Like you're out in the woods, you're hearing Howie Caton talk about seeing a monster on this hill after dark. And now you're looking at being out on that same hill after dark. Mm -hmm. I want to do more stuff like that on the next movie. And, yeah. um, and I want our next movie to be, dramatically larger in scope. Um, I'll tell you right now, I know I was saying the Mansfield staying in Ohio, I don't think is going to be, I don't think it's going to work for us. I think, I think we're going to have to go out of the state on whatever we end up making next. Um, but I think what we're, I think what I would prefer to do, what I would love to do is the Momo story. I just love the Momo story, but I don't know. Do you think I should talk about some of the secret stuff that's going on behind the scenes? <laughs> sure. I mean, I'll just well, say... Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you shouldn't. I, just, it, I, I think we'll be okay. I'll just say that there's... <laughs> we've had some uh, We've had some interest from Hollywood. That's all. No big deal. Hollywood came knocking, and uh, they want a piece of the small town monster's pie. So... We'll see what happens. the The big thing for me is that we maintain this kind of um, no over dramatized nonsense. You know, mm -hmm. like I I want it to be this. I want it to be whatever it would end up being. If that were the road we ended up going down, I wouldn't want it to lose what it always has been about, which is honesty. So, <laughs> I think that's that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Um. Should I, I guess I should give one more plug. Grassmangear.com. Grab the movie um, and the soundtrack, and you can get a T-shirt. You can get the poster. The poster is awesome, by the way. Jeff Kunze designed that poster. 
Um, I can't say enough nice things about Jeff Kunze, who's been a, a great friend of mine for years, super talented guy. Uh, big shout out to Matt Harris, too, who did the illustrations for the movie in a on a crazy, crazy condensed time time schedule. I think I gave him like something like three weeks or something. I mean, he had no time at all to put those yeah. together. And so big thanks to him. Trying to think of who else was involved. Michael Santi, who designed the Minerva Monster logo, the text logo, that was him. Um, and then obviously the guys, you know, my my main crew. But my wife helped out with a lot of stuff, um, text wise, and and putting posters together and all that stuff. My parents, uh, you, um, I mean, there's just been a, a, a Mark DeWorth, Mark Mazel, the Ohio Bigfoot Conference in general. Anyone who spread the word or helped back the Kickstarter. I mean, I guess this is my opportunity, right? Because this is my show. So I yeah, have to say all I, yep. all I can on, on this particular episode because I don't get to do this when I do other interviews. But anyone who listens to SAS, what, who took the time and money to back the Kickstarter just simply based on the fact that you trust me because of this show, I can't thank you enough for, for trusting me enough to make this movie and to put your money into it. And... You, anyone who did back the Kickstarter, um, you literally funded the movie. That Kickstarter started out as let's just fund the production of the DVDs, and what ended up happening is you actually were able to fund the entire production of the movie based off of the money given to us through Kickstarter. So, um, if you like the movie, which I hope you do, uh, you had a direct hand in it, like a major part in the production of it, and. I think it's awesome how Kickstarter works that way. It's it's basically the ultimate way of funding what you want to see or read or whatever. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't. I I really can't thank Sasswet listeners enough. They're like our audience is crazy interactive and they're so passionate about the show. Like we did this library presentation in Willoughby Hills. Uh, a couple nights ago. Well, when you hear this a few weeks ago, and it was entirely because a Sasquatch listener, uh, told the library they should have us in. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to, I actually have, sorry, once again, for our, our, our listeners, if you watch the show, you would be able to really experience some of the stuff. I was going to show you the flyer. They actually hung up, but it had the Sasquatch logo, not the Minerva monster logo. And so, so that was all because of one of our listeners um, actually taking the time to give us some uh, some love, and we we got to go do a library presentation That's solely awesome. because of Sasquatch. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Mark, um, when I asked if how many people in the crowd listened to Sasquatch, there was about eight or nine hands, which no astonished wow. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I Sasquatch's audience is not you know, obviously massive. And, um, I don't think it ever will be because we are very specialized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is true. Uh, but we are what we are. And the movie, um, is here today, at least partially because of Sasquatch and Sasquatch listeners. So our crowd is amazing. Our listeners are amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, you know what, as long as, as long as, uh, we're doing this, let me end the show on this note real quick. I got to thank, um, the Bigfoot show, Brian Brown, uh, Scott Harriet, um, those guys, uh, Paul Vela, the Sam, 
just awesome show. It just wrapped up. They Brian just announced that the the show's over. So um, Brian was kind enough to have me on his show twice, or was it three times? It's three times actually. I think um, two or three times, one or the other. Maybe it's just two, two times. Anyway, um, Brian's audience is huge, and without his support, I don't know how this how the uh, Kickstarter would have done either because he was really. Uh, supportive of us. So a big thanks to Brian Brown and the Bigfoot show. And that was my favorite podcast about Bigfoot. So I will miss that show because those guys, they were like us. They didn't take the subject too seriously. So mm-hmm. I always love that. So a uh, shout out to those guys and uh, a shout out to our listeners as well. And thanks to anyone who supported uh, Minerva monster and, and the movie's out right now. So go buy it and let me know what you think of it. Um, and spread the word. Social media is going to, we're going to rely entirely on word of mouth at this point. We just, there's no marketing budget here. So (laughs) it's, it's entirely based on word of mouth and just trying to spread the word about the movie through social media. So if you're, if you enjoy it, you know, work to get it funded. Yeah. So it's, it's proven that, uh, that works. Yeah. So spread the word and we'll get it out there. Hopefully. And let us know what you think of it, either through the Small Town Monsters Facebook page or the Sasswet Facebook page. I'd like to hear from people, good or bad. I mean, I guess I'd prefer it to be good. But <laughs> but uh, you can also write in to sasswetmail at gmail.com and let us know. So we've got two episodes left of Small Town Monsters Month, and we're going to really delve into some of the awesome little small town flaps around the country starting next week. So, um Mark, thanks for interviewing me. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. <laughs> we have to do this again sometime. Yeah, for the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm.